Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2013. Titled The Sanctuary, it is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 2 for October 5 to 11, Heaven on Earth, Sabbath afternoon, October 5. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've started studying about the sanctuary, the sanctuary on earth, the sanctuary in heaven. Today, as we commence this week, studying your word again, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, give us clear minds, help us in our daily lives, and help us to walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Who shall copy the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle? For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Hebrews 8 verse 9. Let's read that again. Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle? For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Hebrews 8.5 Though the sanctuary in heaven is the original, the one where God himself is ministering for us, the Lord has revealed truths about this sanctuary in different ways to us here on earth. God created the Garden of Eden as a symbol of the sanctuary. The heavenly sanctuary and its function in salvation were represented in the earthly tabernacle and the larger structure of the Israelite temples. In Jesus, of course, the temple was made manifest in a human being, and finally the heavenly temple will come down to the new earth. As we will see, God has used concepts related to the heavenly sanctuary to reveal truth. This week, we will study some of those concepts. Sunday, October 6, the first sanctuary on earth. Bible students have noted that many features of the Garden of Eden correspond to the later sanctuaries in Israel, indicating that Eden was the first symbolic temple on earth. Some parallels between Eden and the sanctuary include 1. At the end of the creation account and the report describing the construction of the wilderness tabernacle, the same three elements Approval, completion and blessing are expressed with the same key words. Compare all, finish and bless in Genesis 1.31-2.3 and Exodus 39.32-43 and chapter 40 verse 33. Well, let's have a look. Genesis 1.31-2.3 Then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Then the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And then Exodus chapter 39 verses 32 
and 43. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. And Exodus chapter 40 and verse 33. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the screen at the court gate. So Moses finished the work. 2. Just as God was walking in the garden, in Genesis 3.8, so he was in the midst of his people in the sanctuary, in Second Samuel 7, verses 6 and 7. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any one from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? And 3. Adam was to tend and keep the garden in Genesis 2.15. The same two verbs are used for the service of the Levites in the tabernacle, Numbers 3, verses 7 and 8. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. 4. Garden-like imagery appears all throughout the sanctuary. Exodus 25, verses 31 to 36. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece, and all of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. And First Kings chapter 6 verse 18. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar, there was no stone to be seen. 5. Cherubim guarded the garden. Two cherubim were stationed in the most holy place. And we read about that in Exodus chapter 25, verses 18 to 22. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end. 
Ye shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. 6. Just as creation took six days, each day being introduced by God said, and all of them together followed by the Sabbath, so there are six the Lord spoke to Moses sections concerning the tabernacle. We read about that in Exodus 25.1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and we read about it too in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and in verse 17, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and in verse 22, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and verse 34, and the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacked, and onkya, and galbanum, and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each. And chapter 31, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Followed by a seventh section about the Sabbath in Exodus 31, verses 12 to 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Every one who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. 7. The sanctuary was finished on the first day of the first month, and we read about that in Exodus 40, verse 7. It's the Hebrew New Year's Day which recalls the completion of the world at creation. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Genesis 2 did not need to be explicit about these parallels. The ancients understood them. For example, a Jewish writing of the 2nd century BC claims that the Garden of Eden was the Holy of Holies and the dwelling of the Lord. The Garden of Eden is called the Garden of God in Isaiah 51.3, Ezekiel 28.13, and Ezekiel 31.9. It was God's dwelling on earth, the place where our first parents were intended to worship and commune with Him. Therefore, the greatest loss of the fall was not the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden, but the loss of being in the immediate presence of God. So to finish today, Dwell on the concept of the word sanctuary itself. What comes to your mind? What things form a sanctuary 
for you now. How does your understanding of these sanctuaries on earth help you to understand better what God's sanctuary in heaven provides for us? Monday, October 7, Copy of the Pattern Question. Read Exodus chapter 25, verses 9 and verse 40, and Hebrews 8, 5, 9, 23 and 24. What is the relationship between the earthly and heavenly sanctuaries? First of all, Exodus chapter 9, sorry, Exodus 25, verse 9. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And verse 40. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. And Hebrews 8 verse 5, Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And 9 verses 23 and 24, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place Places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The scriptures teach clearly that Moses did not invent the tabernacle, but built it according to the divine instruction that he received on the mountain. Exodus twenty six thirty, twenty seven eight, and Numbers eight four. The earthly sanctuary was to be constructed after the pattern of Exodus 25, verses 9 and 40 that we've just read. The Hebrew word for pattern, tabnet, expresses the idea of a model or copy. Thus we can conclude that Moses saw some kind of miniature model that represented the heavenly sanctuary and that this model served as the pattern for the earthly one. Therefore, the heavenly temple is the original, the model for the Israelite sanctuaries, what is also obvious is that we cannot equate the sanctuary in heaven with heaven itself. The heavenly temple is in heaven, as you read in Revelation 11.19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. And Revelation 14, verse 17 then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle, and chapter 15 and verse 5. And that reads, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple in, of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Thus heaven contains it. The two are not synonymous. The book of Hebrews explains in unmistakable terms that the heavenly sanctuary is real. The sanctuary in heaven is called the true tabernacle in Hebrews 8.2, as well as the greater and more perfect tabernacle in 9.11, while the earthly is a copy of sh and shadow of the heavenly one in Hebrews 
as a shadow is always a mere representation of something real, and an imperfect and faint representation of that, the earthly sanctuary is a mere representation of the heavenly. Whatever its limitations, however, the earthly sanctuary does reflect the reality of the heavenly one in important ways. The relationship between the two is called typology. Typology is a divinely designed prophetic prefiguration that involves two corresponding historical realities, called type, original, and antitype, copy. Because the correspondence runs from the type, original, to the antitype, copy, we can see in Hebrews that the heavenly model that Moses had seen is referred to as type or pattern in Hebrews 8.5, and the earthly sanctuary as antitype or copy in Hebrews 9.24. This truth presents more evidence that the heavenly one existed prior to the earthly one. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are on solid biblical ground when we emphasize the physical reality of the heavenly sanctuary. Tuesday, October 8, Jesus as the Sanctuary. Question. Read John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21. Why is Jesus' body compared to the temple? See also John chapter 1, verse 14. Well, in John 2, beginning at verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And then in John one fourteen, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the themes of the Gospel of John is that with Jesus, the better temple has come. Tabernacle imagery is used as early as in John 1.14. Jesus is the Word who dwelt among men, and they saw his glory. The Greek word used for to dwell, skenu, is the verbal form of the Greek noun for tabernacle, sken. So one could translate verse 14 as the Word tabernacled among us. In this context, the word glory recalls the glory of God that filled both the wilderness tabernacle in Exodus 40 and Solomon's temple at its inauguration in Second Chronicles 7. So when Christ came to earth as a human, he fulfilled God's temple promise to dwell among his people. As the texts above show, Jesus declared himself to be the temple, signifying already the end of the earthly temple significance after his death. We saw that in John 2, and in Matthew 27:51, he said, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Also, when Jesus said that he is the bread of life in John 6 and the light of the world in John 8, he might have been pointing beyond the manna on the table to the bread of the presence and the lampstand objects in the earthly sanctuary. 
A definite reference to the sanctuary is the designation of Jesus as the sacrificial Lamb of God who will bear the sin of the world, as said in John 1.29. In the book Selected Messages, Book 1, page 233, Ellen White writes, All who did service in connection with the sanctuary were being educated constantly in regard to the intervention of Christ in behalf of the human race. This service was designed to create in every heart a love for the law of God, which is the law of his kingdom. The sacrificial offering was to be an object lesson of the love of God revealed in Christ. In the suffering, dying victim, who took upon himself the sin of which man was guilty, the innocent being made sin for us. So to finish the day, because of our sinful natures, it's so easy to think that God is angry with us. How does the revelation of God's love, as seen in the life and death of Jesus, help each of us to realize on a personal level that God loves us despite our faults? In what ways should this realization encourage us to gain victories over self? Wednesday, October 9, The Church as the Sanctuary After Christ's ascension to heaven and his inauguration as high priest in the sanctuary there, the temple on earth no longer had any real purpose in the plan of salvation. Matthew 27 reads, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. However, God still seeks to dwell among his people on earth, which was now possible through the Holy Spirit. The apostles use temple imagery to convey this truth. Question. Read 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17, 6.19 and 20, 2 Corinthians 6.16 and Ephesians 2.19 to 22. Notice the sanctuary imagery in these texts. What truth does the Bible teach us here? First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 
Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 to the church as a corporate unity, and he presents to them the temple themes of worship and of holiness. He applies the same principles in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to the individual believer. As a temple, the believer is holy terrain, and as such is under divine obligation to live in holiness. Paul uses the temple imagery to emphasize his call for pure and holy living, which in this context he identifies as sexual purity over immorality in 1 Corinthians 6, 15-18. Paul's last reference to the church as a divine sanctuary fits into this pattern. There is no common ground between believers and unbelievers, as he says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, right through to chapter 7, verse 1. For the church is in a covenant relationship with God, and thus is exclusively His. At the same time, the church is not only God's temple, but also a holy priesthood, as he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2. No doubt with such a privilege as this, important responsibilities follow. How crucial that we surrender our lives in faith and obedience to the Lord who has given us so much, and who therefore asks much of us in return. So to finish the day, of course, we are saved by Christ's righteousness, which covers us completely. However, because of what we have been given in Christ by grace, what does God ask of us in return? And even more important, how can we best do that which He asks of us? Thursday, October 10, New Creation Question. Read Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. Where are the redeemed, and how does this passage portray them? Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These verses describe the redeemed as kings and priests who serve in God's palace and temple. So does Revelation 1.6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. The promise that he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them in Revelation 7.15 alludes to God's presence in the wilderness sanctuary where he dwelt among the ancient Israel as its leader. On the new earth, the sanctuary once more becomes the perfect place of relationship where God and the redeemed meet. It guarantees shelter, protection 
and the ultimate fulfillment of life in the presence of God and his Christ. The one who once tabernacled among men, as we read in John 1.14 yesterday, now spreads the tabernacle over his saints so that they may tabernacle in his place. Question. Read Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 22. How is the new Jerusalem described? What parallels do you find between the holy city and the sanctuary in these texts? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was like gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
John does not see a temple in the New Jerusalem, as we've just read in verse 22. But this does not mean that there is no temple. Rather, the New Jerusalem itself is the temple and the tabernacle of God. Several sanctuary elements are assigned to the New Jerusalem. It is holy and of heavenly origin, as you read in verses 2 and 10. It has the same cubical form as did the most holy place in Revelation 21.16. Similar to the temple precincts, nothing unclean is allowed into the city, verse 27. And, most important of all, God is present. In the sanctuary of God, we can live with Him in the closest relationship possible. This is the goal of salvation. So to finish today, an eternity is a close relationship with God. Why is it then so crucial for us to walk, as Ellen White says over and over, in close communion with God now? Friday, October 11. From the book The Great Controversy, page 674 and 675, we read, A fear of making the future inheritance seem too material has led some to spiritualize away the very truths which lead us to look upon it as our home. Christ assured his disciples that he went to prepare mansions for them in the Father's house. Those who accept the teachings of God's word will not be wholly ignorant concerning the heavenly abode, and yet eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 Human language is inadequate to describe the reward of the righteous. It will be known only to those who behold it. No finite mind can comprehend the glory of the paradise of God. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Why do you think it is important for us to understand that God's heavenly sanctuary is a real place? At the same time, why must we be careful not to make too detailed a comparison between the earthly temple and the heavenly temple? 2. In class, dwell more on the idea of the church as a sanctuary. How do you understand this truth? Also, how can we as a church better fulfill this crucial teaching? 3. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. What do these texts teach us, and how can we apply their teachings to the way that we live? 4. Dwell more on this idea that we are priests now and that we are, will function as priests after the second coming. What are those functions for us now and what will they be after Jesus returns? Why does even the use of the word priests show us just how central the concept of the sanctuary is to the plan of salvation?
Inside Story. Our mission story for this week is titled Faithful Little Flock. In China, pastors often have several churches. Pastor Sun oversees 10 churches and 200 small groups with a membership of about 5,000. To shepherd this large and diverse flock, Pastor Sun trains lay evangelists. Sister Zhu found Christ and joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the provincial capital. She wanted to share her new faith with her family and friends living in her hometown, Wuyan, a city of about 100,000 people. When she arrived in Wuyan, she found no other Seventh-day Adventist living there. Undaunted, she shared her faith first with her sister and then with others. Zhu found several people who wanted to hear about Christ, and she asked Pastor Sun to send someone to help her plant a church in Wuyan. Pastor Sun sent Lu, a global mission pioneer, to work with Zhu. He met with Zhu's sister and some neighbours in Zhu's home. Another neighbour reported Lu's activity to her own church officials, who made trouble for Lu. The little band of new believers prayed that God would protect the infant flock, and Lu visited the neighbour's church. He worshipped with them and made friends in the congregation. Lu met several people who were open to a hearing what he believed, and he explained his work. One woman in the church, Zhang, asked for Bible studies. Lu studied with her, and she in turn brought five others to meet Lu and study the Bible with him. All six people from the neighbor's church began keeping the Sabbath. Lu encouraged them to continue attending their church on Sunday to find other honest-hearted Christians who wanted to know what the Bible teaches. When the Sunday church's leaders learned that more than 20 of their members were studying to become Seventh-day Adventists, they were angry and told them to stop attending their church. But the little group continued telling others what they had discovered. The believers invited their friends and those in need to come for prayer and help. In one year, more than 30 people are meeting regularly on the Sabbath and 18 have been baptised. In China, a new believer must know the Bible truths and pass an examination before they are baptised, so 18 baptisms is remarkable. Our mission offerings support the world church in its challenging task of telling everyone everywhere that Jesus loves them and died to save them. Thank you for your part in supporting missions around the world. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.